What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we are doing an epic interview about Augur, the decentralized betting platform that has recently launched on the Ethereum network. This is a project I've been following for years that is making huge strides, sort of a big inflection point. Um, so I'm really, really excited to actually have Tom Kaiser, Director of Operations from Augur and the Forecast Foundation on the show today to help us break all of this down. Tom, welcome to HyperChange. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm so, so pumped to learn um, and just get way uh, over my head about Ethereum and crypto and, and hear about this whole world that you're all up to. So um, for those who don't know, could you break down just super high level what um, Augur is and sort of this concept of building something on top of the Ethereum network? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so Augur is, uh, you know, as a product itself, it is a, uh, it is a decentralized and peer-to-peer -peer prediction market. Um, in other terms, you know, it is a uh, decentralized uh, betting platform. It's a place where two people can enter into uh, some sort of uh, bet or agreement or contract uh, with one another. Um, but it's built on top of Ethereum, as you said. Um, so essentially all of the, the logic and the uh, existence of Augur itself uh, lives on Ethereum as a set of smart contracts and software. So there's no central owner of it. There's no uh, there's no business that uh, you know operates these contracts or the website or anything that has to do with it. It's uh, you know it's it's almost like it's kind of entirely owned by the people that end up using it themselves. Um, you know, just because we develop it or we create the software, um, it's all open source. Um, it's it's you know we have no more power or control or you know uh, any sort of executive. Uh, uh, you know, power over Augur or the software itself than you do, you know, going on it and using it today. Um, so that's kind of what Ethereum, the cool thing about Ethereum allows you to do is you can, you can build these sorts of applications in a way where uh, you can remove the middleman. Um, and, you know, we can get into that afterwards, but there's a, you know, a lot of benefits of being able to essentially remove that middleman, particularly, you know, from certain sort of, you uh, uh, businesses or uh, services that exist. Um, a lot of those middlemen exist uh, to be, you know, kind of uh, simply some level of rent seeking or, or uh, some level of rent seeker where they just kind of sit in the middle, they take their fee, you know, they don't really provide too much. Uh, you know, sometimes they, they do bad things. Um, essentially, you know, you give somebody centralized power or authority long enough, um, eventually it kind of becomes corrupt in one way or another. So that's kind of yeah. the to do. A uh, big fan of this whole vision of decentralized systems and, you know, Vitalik Buterin, this like crazy boy genius, you know, gets super obsessed with Bitcoin, comes up with this Ethereum network. I was actually, I wrote a bunch about Ethereum in my book like a few years ago, back when I was super into crypto. And uh, this whole concept, like I was an investor in it, of like the decentralized computer of the world, able to run all these applications that I actually divested from Ethereum because it got like this huge spike to like a million transactions a day, then sort of fell down to half a million after that initial crypto craze. But now we've sort of seen it go back up. And to me, the value of Ethereum is always tied to what are the, the value of the dApps built on top of it, decentralized applications. And that's where Augur comes in is you are one of the leading decentralized applications built on the Ethereum network. In theory, you know, projects like yours are what give that Ethereum network value or the first sort of tools and apps to be built on this new decentralized platform. So, so, so exciting. Um, and so I'm curious if you could walk us through like the genesis of Augur. And then I know that there was a V1 launch prior to this new V2 thing that was sort of an initial beta test that went pretty well with some cool traction. So could you walk us through that genesis and then V1 launch? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, 
Augur was initially uh, founded by uh, uh, the two founders, uh, uh, Joey Krug and Jack Peterson. It was originally uh, a thought of and started being worked on in like late 2014. Um, and it was uh, essentially piggybacked on a bunch of uh, uh, kind of academic work done by a couple guys, uh, uh, Robin Hansen, who did a lot of stuff in prediction markets, and uh, uh, some guys, um, uh, Paul Stork, who did some early uh, academic work on uh, trying to implement this stuff on Bitcoin, uh, on something called Truthcoin. Um, and uh, back in like 2014, uh, Joey and Jack, uh, you know, took one of these kind of papers uh, outlining the idea of uh, you can create these forecasting uh, prediction markets uh, in a kind of trustless manner. Um, and it was originally designed to be a fork of Bitcoin. Um, so wow. you can go on the internet still somewhere and like uh, there's the first, first Augur white paper ever published and it's entirely spec'd out as like just a straight up fork of Bitcoin. Um, and rolling into 2015, um, the idea of Ethereum started getting some, uh, uh, you know, uh, people started becoming more aware of it. It was, uh, it was still before Ethereum had ever launched. Um, and in like late 2015, they had kind of formulated uh, uh, the idea of how they could run this on Ethereum. Um, they ended up conducting, I believe it's, I believe it's the first token sale or crowd sale that happened, you know, on Ethereum. It actually happened before Ethereum was live. Um, and so in like late 2015, they did the token sale um, and they sold these reputation tokens. And um, these are the tokens that still exist today and still are the tradable kind of token that you see associated with Augur. Um, but the reputation token, essentially, um, anybody can purchase these and uh, it allows you to act as the uh, human oracle of Augur. Essentially, you have the right to uh, work on the Augur protocol and uh, provide answers. So, you know, with the decentralized prediction market, there's always the question of, well, who says, you know, uh, what the outcome of the baseball game was or who says who won the presidential election. Um, and there's a there's a big process kind of behind that and, you know, uh, uh, sort of a game theory setup of like how to optimally do that with, with, the, with financial incentives in a network. Um, but yeah, and actually, if I could interrupt before we get too much into V1, I, that is perfectly one of my questions is I love this quote of like crypto assets are just incentive systems. And so I'm curious to, at a high level, how does that incentive system work for Augur that you just mentioned? Absolutely. Because you have these people who are checking to make sure the bets are right and done correctly and categorized. So, yeah, yeah the good crypto assets are, uh, you know, well-aligned financial systems. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love, I think that was a Chris Berninsky yes. quote. I, he wrote the book Crypto Assets. I loved it. And I just, ever yeah. since I heard that, I was like, wow, this is a beautiful way to think about it. Yeah. Um, so long story short, like in summary, uh, the incentive system is, is structured in a way where uh, presumably uh, acting in accordance uh, with consensus or with the rest of the rep holders that also exist with you will always be the most profitable decision to make. Um, so essentially trying to extract the truth, um, you know, somebody can come in and lie. Somebody can stake some rep and say Hillary, Cl Hillary Clinton won the last election. Um, the way the incentive system is structured is that um, if you are essentially not reporting with consensus, which is presumably what reality actually reflects, um, it is not going to be economically uh, profitable for you to do so. Um, so on the inverse, essentially, uh, it makes lying expensive. Um, if you come in and you try to uh, perpetuate some sort of reality that doesn't actually exist in the real world, all the other rep holders 
have a financial incentive to come in and correct you. And if they end up winning that dispute, you lose all your rep, all your rep goes to them. And this is how the kind of dispute system back and forth works. Uh, there's a, there's a essentially an initial bond that gets posted. Um, if you believe that the initial report of a market is incorrect, you can take some rep, say, I think you're wrong. I think the right answer is X. Here's a hundred bucks for me to you know stake on that. Um, and that gives now a time for somebody else to come in and you know uh, give them the opportunity to potentially uh, stake against you uh, you know, for saying your outcome that you just said, you know, is correct or incorrect. And essentially these bonds double and escalate and there's a system where they keep getting larger and larger and larger and larger, um, eventually to the end of, uh, uh what we call a fork. Um, and this is kind of the core of Augur's, uh, uh, security model, which is that if this dispute escalates to a high enough level, um, it's currently set at about, uh, the final forking rounds about 550,000 reps which at current price is like maybe 15 million bucks, 17 million bucks. Um, so if somebody, essentially, if somebody's willing to spend, you know, because uh, you have to do all the rounds before it too. So it's actually like 25, 30 million. If somebody's willing to spend like 25, 30 million bucks and bring a market all the way to forking, um, essentially what Augur will do is uh, the Augur Oracle goes, well, we can't determine truth here. There's two sides of the story. Then you're both willing to stake tens of millions of dollars on it. So it forks the reputation token into two different worlds. One wow, world like Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash. That's yes, kind of. kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, it's like say it was the presidential market, and there was disputed all the way to a fork. Essentially, Augur would at the end fork the reputation token and say, "There's now two Augurs. An Augur over here, Hillary Clinton is president, wow. and an Augur over here, Donald Trump is president." Now, if you want to use Augur <laughs> as a regular person, you got to decide which version of Augur you want to participate in. And the theory behind it is that people won't want to participate in the world that doesn't accurately reflect what they perceive as reality because they don't have trust in that system. If I'm a trader, well, this Oracle resolved the market at Hillary Clinton. I don't want to trade there because if I trade on one of these markets, I don't know what the, what they're going to resolve as. Right. Like I'll make a bet on Apple price being this and it was, but then they don't like reality. So then I'm not even going to get my money, even though I was right. Absolutely. So why would I start, yeah. uh, you know, I'm okay. Really interesting. Love that breakdown. So, so yeah. you launched this initial product, I want to say a couple of years ago, you put this out into the wild and a lot of political elections, I think with some of the traction, but can you talk to us about what happened when you put it out? Like how much money, um, you know, it moved through the platform, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it took like, uh, it took like three years of development to get it to the kind of V1 state. Um, V1 launched in July of 2018. So almost two years ago or just over two years ago now. Um, it launched with Ether as the trading currency. So you had to use ETH to place your bets and all your bets were done in ETH. Um, so, but initially, um, I mean, it, it, I think it did significantly better than all of us ever anticipated. Um, the like user experience of it was relatively subpar. Um, the process for accessing it was definitely subpar. You needed to like download a local application and download the Ethereum blockchain and like read from the chain you know, could take upwards of three, three or four days to, to complete that process. Right, like 0.00101% of people in the world could have any yes, idea how to it, access right, this. It was quite a painful <laughs> process. At the, thankfully, technology's come quite a far away in the past two years with this stuff. Um, but yeah, um, yeah you know, uh, it, it, at the end of the day, it ended up, uh, it, it effectively kind of 
die. It didn't die, but like nobody really used it anymore about the beginning of 2020, uh, the V1 version. And it clocked in at like roughly 25 million, depending on how you benchmark the ETH price um, of completed match bets um, over wow. time. So, so that's pretty uh, impressive real world traction. Like this, you know, theoretical betting platform schemed up by these academics sort of that you code onto this wild decentralized blockchain and all of a sudden you put out in the wild and you're getting 25 million on the beta. Like that's pretty, that's some real money there. Yeah, it was, I think we were all, you know, definitely surprised by it. Um, and I think the, you know, the better version of uh, like, you know, the way we deployed it and launched it was kind of that we knew the actual like user product was less than ideal. Um, but it was also the first time we were deploying essentially this incentive system into the world. And when we say it's kind of like a beta, it was really like a beta for like, we need to ensure this like incentive system that we've designed here and this reporting system and the way that we determine outcomes of events and everything is actually going to work. And that, you know, these, that, that people are properly, you know, driven to these certain financial incentives. And it's like all these like kind of levers and mechanisms. And it's like, you have to, you know, people have to come in and pull things and report on things and do this and do that. Um, and that ended up working beautifully. Um, you know, the product itself had, a, you know, some problems in terms of the, the actual kind of like website and software, um, just in terms of usability, but, you know, a market didn't like report incorrectly. Um, you know, it's, it's like a subjective thing to say, but, uh, you know, there, there were no outcomes that were really, there was no outcomes that were ever heavily disputed. There were outcomes that went through some dispute rounds, but they, they, they wrapped up pretty quickly. Um, and no market like resolved, like, like as anybody, a regular person would define as like inaccurate. Um, so that was kind of the big thing. And there was maybe wow. 3000 of them or so 3,500 of them. So, um, you know, it gave us confidence in the fact that at least this kind of incentive and token system that we've designed uh, to to be the blockchain oracle um, seems to be working um, and that markets resolved correctly. People have the right incentives to come in and, and do the correct work. And, uh, you know, then we we spent the kind of next two years. OK, foundation works. Uh, how do we make this thing, you know, more usable by a more common person or a more common crypto person or et cetera? And that's been the sort of ideation behind V2, which is now just launched, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Congrats on that. Yeah, thank you. It's been uh, it's been a busy week, but uh, yeah, launched last two. We're at one week last Tuesday. Um, so, could you give me an example of? And I'm just curious, my users, because this is all super great theoretical, but I like some of the fun. You must have seen some wild, quirky bets on this for V1, or maybe even in V2, like. What was some prediction market that was created that you weren't expecting? Like, is, was it all political? Like, will Trump win? Or there must be some crazy ones. Yeah, I mean, you know, so like all like the all the like regular bases, you know, obviously you see all the kind of uh, the political stuff, the sports stuff, the financial stuff. Um, crypto markets did quite well on V1, which was somewhat of a surprise to us, considering the accessibility of that everywhere else in the world, essentially. Essentially just betting markets on like, you know, will ETH be above or below 200 bucks by the end of next month. Um, wow, so it's almost like, like an option market derivatives yeah, exactly. for crypto, yeah. okay. Um, but like surprise, very surprised on the amount of volume some of those markets would do when I'm like, you know, there's tons of exchanges that offer a very similar service. Um, but then the then flip side of that is that's probably a mature market because people are used to doing all these exchanges of- Absolutely, that's You know, zero yeah. X I think is like- Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, it's something they're slightly more familiar with. They don't have to, you know, it's not like a, a new kind of, but that's what I think Augur is cool for is the, essentially the, the types of markets that it can enable that don't exist elsewhere. 
Um, and, you know, we saw a handful of those on V1, a bunch of them, um, you know, you get the kind of, uh, V1 was a bit fun because um, reporters needed to essentially determine like, what is their precedent for uh, resolving, uh, augurize these things in valid markets, which is where like, this isn't a market that can be resolved. Essentially, if you like make a market that says like, will my dog be happy tomorrow? Like, that's just like not a, that's like not a thing. Like you can't resolve that. That's, that's, would be the definition of an invalid market. Um, and so you wouldn't let that, but how do you, if it's a decentralized platform and I want to put, create a market that says mm -hmm. my dog's going to be happy tomorrow, like, what do you, what happens? Oh, you can make it and it'll go on Augur and people can trade on it if they want to. Um, but the idea is that, uh, reporters and the rep holders, when that market goes to, Oh, so you don't mean journalists, reporters, you mean rep token oh yeah sorry when call I, reporters yes sorry okay, gotcha no just to be clear yeah, yeah. When, I, yeah when i say reporters i mean uh rep holders yes uh we, we call them reporters they're the reporters for the system gotcha um but yeah they essentially uh, you know once your market resolves they determine it as a invalid market and they don't resolve it with, with an outcome they say this market is is null it's invalid this can't be resolved this isn't a this isn't a thing um prediction markets you know only work with things that really have a definitive outcome and something that everybody can kind of validate themselves. And we'll all get our money back if that's the case for all those um, people who staked on my dog's market, which now has been invalidated. Like what happens to all that capital and escrow? So uh, they, so we handle it slightly differently in V1 versus V2. So in V1, the way that we did it was that uh, essentially all the outcomes in the market got paid back a proportional amount of the money in escrow. Um, the weird thing about Augur too is slightly is that um, when you trade on Augur, you essentially get a, uh, you get an ERC-20, you get a, I, we call them outcome tokens, um, but it's essentially a, a tradable token that represents the outcome in that market. Um, but you can go take that token if you want and trade it not on Augur. So Augur doesn't really know how much you paid for that token. All it knows is that we've issued an outcome token for uh -huh. one of the sets. Um, so we don't, we don't have a way of determining, like if Augur doesn't have a way of determining if, if you actually purchased this on Augur or you purchased it on Uniswap or another DEX or somewhere else, um, they're freely tradable tokens. Um, so in V1, the way it worked was it would, um, if there was a, if it was a yes, no market to outcomes, if it was invalid, everybody gets paid 50 cents. So, and that was not an ideal, uh, solution in Heinz because if you ended up buying that share for 75 cents. Yeah, you lost 25 cents on, on the share. You only got 50 cents back. But if you bought it at 35 cents, you know, you make 15 cents per share on it. Um, we'd essentially split it, you know, between the equal amount of outcomes in the market. Huh. Um, and in V2, the way we, we kind of fixed that and made that better was um, all markets have invalid as a tradable outcome itself now. So you can go on Augur V2 today. And if you think a market is going to be invalid, you can just now directly purchase invalid shares in that market. And if it ends up being invalid, it, that, those invalid shares resolve to one, just like any other outcome on the market would. So oh, uh, yeah, no market, like yes, no, invalid. Um, and you know, if, if it's an invalid market, you can buy those. And that's kind of used as a uh, signaling proxy now to the public. Whereas if invalid is presumably trading at anything over 1%, like, you should take a look at that because that means somebody's presumed, you know, somebody's willing to purchase invalid, you know, at a price, somebody has a reason to believe this market is invalid. Um, and we use that as kind of a filtering technique now too, to uh, hopefully, you know, we ideally want to hide as many invalid markets from people as possible um, without us, you know, we can't sit here and curate these markets either. 
Um, so they need to kind of be filtered in a, in a programmatic way. Um, so V2 does this thing where essentially, uh, you know, if, uh, if invalid has a profitable bid on it, um, the, you, the client will hide it um, because we can make a reasonable assumption that that market will actually be invalid um, because somebody's willing to, 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 to buy invalid shares on it. Um, that can go a little bit deeper too. You can like essentially buy insurance against your own positions with that too. Um, but wow. yeah. I mean, the possibilities here are just so mind boggling. And on one end, you're calling it like this decentralized betting platform. But when I was watching some other talks about um, your team members, it was like this idea where you could hedge financial assets, protect wealth and sort of, yeah, okay, sports betting, political betting are one things, but there's just, it's really a platform for any kind of prediction market. And you're building this wildly complicated incentives system to handle that. Um, like it's, and you know, so I'm kind of curious if we could move into like the valuation of Augur and just what Augur is. Like to me, this is the real fascination. Crypto assets, not a company. It's not a cryptocurrency. It's a crypto asset. It's a decentralized network that's built on top of this other network, which is Ethereum. Like it's so kind of confusing. And there's the rep token holders. So you do an ICO of this rep token, which you have to own to have access to participate. But that's different than equity in the underlying corporation, which is the the what's forecast foundation the forecast foundation which yeah. is the actual like you know llc or whatever which you run so can you break down that entire structure of sort of like what the uh, what it is because there's a company somewhere which is the forecast foundation i guess yep there's uh there's the forecast foundation um we are a uh, privately held estonian company um it is the company that is uh, you know did has been existing since 2015 to date um so the slightly different thing about us is that uh, we're, you know, we're not a registered nonprofit, but we operate in a not-for-profit sense. Uh, meaning since the ori original crowd sale, um, we've never made a dollar in revenue and we don't intend to. Um, the entire business model was essentially to raise that initial capital and then use that initial capital to develop Augur. And um, that's it. Um, we don't take you know, we don't take fees from the protocol. We don't take, uh, you know, we, we don't charge for services. We don't do anything. We are essentially a group of collective, uh, you know, nonprofit open source software developers uh, building Augur for the public. Um, so on paper itself, uh, the Forecast Foundation is, you know, arguably and relatively worthless. Um, you know, like we've, we've never sold equity to investors. Um, I think our equity on paper is worth like 2,500 euro or something. Um, you know, it's like, there's, there's no actual business here. It's, um, you know, we raise the initial amount of capital and we see it as like a, like kind of like a nonprofit treasury. That's our treasury. We manage it. And, uh, you know, we essentially only deploy that capital on paying engineers that develop and build the Augur software. And, and you, at some point that will go away and we will be gone and we won't have no, you know, that, and that, you know, we there's still there's still some lifespan on it but there will be some point in the future where you know the forecast foundation uh just disbands and auger everything's open everything's public um the hope by that point is that you know I, I think we could do it today and like it would be okay um but you know the hope is that you know years from now when that does when that does happen auger has built such a community and network around it that it can survive in a way similar to kind of how bitcoin survives today wow that's pretty crazy so, and that initial capital that came in was from the REP token sale, the rep token initial coin offering. And then that capital goes to 
that you issued all these tokens. And so when someone's buying in the rep token, I guess this is what I'm getting at as sort of my investor brain. Like I'm not buying equity in the Augur company. It's no, different than that. Not. But no. I am there, you know, I've seen multi-coin capital put out a very, you know, couple year old, but very thorough investment thesis for Augur. There are people who do invest in the rep token to, for an, just to get an increase in value because the network will go up. So it's a, to me, that's where I think it's interesting of like, I'm not investing in the company where like MakerDAO, I feel like I'm investing when I invest in that MKR governance token. I feel like I'm almost investing in a share of like the governing company startup. Yes, absolutely. Because you, you get some level of governing rights over the Maker protocol with that. Um, and, you know, with Augur, you don't get governing rights over the protocol. You essentially kind of get like a, um, you could almost kind of think of it like a taxi medallion for Augur. Or like, it's like a work license, like a work permit. It's like, you now have a permit to perform work for Augur and get paid for it in return. Um, but there's a, you know, you can only do that if you have rep tokens. Uh, if you don't have rep tokens, you are, you cannot perform work and get paid for it. Yeah. Uh, so, and you would get paid for it by like transaction fees on the network, this whole incentive system. And the correct. theory yeah, is if, trading yeah, trading fees, I guess. And so if if way more people are using the network, you know, it goes from 25 million beta to like tens of billions of dollars, all of a sudden, assuming there's no massive dilution in that medallion count, the value of those medallions, the price to pay to, to play in this ecosystem will greatly increase in value potentially. I think right now it's maybe a 200, 250 million dollar, like outstanding network value for the right. rep coin, something around that. Yeah. But, you know, so it's like, okay, well, you can start to calculate, well, if they're doing tens of billions of of transactions on the platform, taking this much fees, you know, you can try and triangulate a value for that network. And maybe it's, you know, 10 billion. And if it, you buy it in at 200 million, there's huge upside, but it's different than buying equity in Augur. Um, and I don't know, I think this is kind of something to talk through that like, for me is even super complicated. I have no idea how, if it makes sense to other people, but like, I think we're at just sort of this new paradigm of like, just buying stock in a company is not, that's a really, really way too simple way to think about how to like sort of invest in these crypto projects because yeah, I don't know if you have any. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you, the, the, you know, kind of the way you think about it is like, uh, yeah, I mean, you're investing in, uh, or, you know, you're, you're purchasing and, uh, you, the, the, the value, uh, technically, you know, the value of the rep token is derived by, uh, the amount of usage of the Augur protocol. So as I said, the, us, the forecast foundation, we don't take a fee or anything like that. But there, there is a, there is a, uh, there is a, a trading fee on Augur when you trade. However, that fee goes entirely to rep holders and reporters, um, and that's the model of it. So, like in a traditional kind of sports book or you know financial exchange somewhere, somebody runs that exchange, takes the fee. That's their profit. That's how they make money. That's how they go and raise investment. You know, that's yeah. their flow. That's their everything. We've essentially taken that and instead directed that entirely to the rep holders um, themselves. So, yep. you know, if you are a rep holder, you are, you know, and you part, you come into Augur and you participate, um, you are paid your fair share of the Augur network's trading fees um, versus somebody who would have run an exchange takes those trading fees themselves. Um, all the profits, all the upside, all the benefits of anything that happens on Augur, essentially one way or another kind of gets uh, uh, given back to the reporters themselves. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that really ensure that the protocol stays running and that things stay working and that, you know, they're like the employees of Augur. Um, you know, like that's the real team. Those are the people that, you know, ensure markets resolve correctly, 
you know, without markets resolving correctly, you don't have traders. Without traders, you don't have trading fees. Without traders, you don't have market creators. You know, it all kind of funnels back at the end of the day that you need some people coming in here uh, that properly perform the work that is needed in order for this system to run well and be kind of a well-oiled machine. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, I mean, reporting fees, uh, there's like a, there's a kind of a complex mechanism for how reporting fees are actually determined the rate. Um, but it, it scales with the amount of open interest in Augur. So as more open interest in Augur, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, gets into Augur, uh, the reporting fee gets higher and thus, uh, more of the fee that, you know, traders pay end up going back to reporters. Um, but that's like the only fee that exists really in Augur. There's a, a market creator can designate a fee as well, but um, that's generally been a race to the bottom almost. Um, at the end of the day, there's really only a reporting fee and the Ethereum kind of transaction fee. Um, but, and that goes back to the reporters. That's another way to think of it too. It's kind of like, um, kind of like you're paying a transaction. It's kind of like how you, on Ethereum, you pay a transaction fee and that goes to the miners. It's yeah. kind of the same thing here, but you're paying a transaction fee and like the, the rep holders are like the miners of Augur. Yeah, are the ones that are kind of, you know, laying the foundation and, and keeping everything going. And I'm glad you said that because I, I, I was worried you were scaring me and people for a sec being like, yeah, like we got all this money that we're going to run out. And like, you know, but no, it's, no, it's no. like there's this system there that is, you know, designed so that as it'll operate itself, like the Bitcoin, they pay the miners. There's no, you know, they don't even have that foundation to help them. So um, really cool. And what I thought was uh, and actually let's dive into that, uh, the gas cost, because this is to me the biggest friction of Augur's adoption will be rising gas costs in the Ethereum network. So Ethereum booming back up past a million transactions a day. Awesome. I've also noticed gap, the price of gas is going up. Um, I've also noticed the price of Ethereum is going up and gas is priced in Ethereum. So the USD price of gas to run it, basically the gas is like you said, that, yeah, that fee to pay transaction on the network is big because the, this decentralized network of computers is still kind of new and in beta itself. It's not ready to handle 50 million transactions a day, running them in, instantaneously, super cheaply. So to be the biggest barrier for Augur's adoption is I have to pay gas, like I have to pay this fee on the Ethereum network, the gas fee, um, which is a whole, that's a whole podcast to even explain what that is. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. and then the transaction fee on top of that. So, you know, how are those fees doing? And it's, you're getting some traction. So obviously there are people over to able to overcome those, but what's the yeah. kind of current fee status? Yeah. And I mean, uh, to put it into comparison, you're like the, the rep reporting fee is, uh, you know, if you're, if you compare the rep reporting fee to, uh, uh, the Ethereum gas fee, I mean, it's, it's almost non-existent. Uh, you know, if you're like doing it like percentage wise, I mean, the, uh, the reporting fee for through V1, I believe was like, uh, 0.15%. I think on Augur right now for V2, it's in that similar ish ballpark because it's based on the amount of current OI in the system. Um, but so, the, I mean, the, the real barrier is uh, uh, Ethereum transaction fees. Well, you're absolutely right with that, um, particularly now as well. Uh, again, yeah. Because you're building all this cool stuff for Ethereum, so now everyone's using Ethereum, which is making it harder to use the cool stuff you're building. Absolutely. And the more that people want to use Ethereum for whatever reason that is, whether that's using decentralized exchanges or using applications like Augur or whatnot, it's more demand usage for it. People are willing to pay higher prices in order to get their transactions confirmed. And it's a, just a perpetuating, you know, upper kind of cycle of making transactions more and more and more expensive. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's at the, it's at the point where it's, it's definitely, it definitely, uh, I think it's an issue for everybody that's building on Ethereum. 
Um, and you know, there's, there's, there's essentially two solutions or there's like two roads of a solution. So there's the, there's the camp where you can essentially, uh, bank on Ethereum solving this themselves. So this is kind of the ETH 2.0, uh, you know, discussion and everything that's going yeah, on. Yeah. I'm curious if you have any, is that happening or? Yeah. I mean, I've followed it a bit. Um, I know they're doing some like beta stuff, uh, I believe next month, in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if that has, you know, uh, I don't follow like the markets too, too much, but I would imagine that maybe has something to do with the current Ethereum price as well. Um, but I, I know they're making, you know, strides in, uh, uh, I mean, getting a working prototype live. My theory is this entire, you know, this might be a skeptical view, but this is why I got rid of my Ethereum is I was just not seeing the ability to, you know, okay, Ethereum's worth oh, yeah. 40, and it, 40 billion. It, like you better be processing billions of transactions, tens of million a day, but you're at a million a day and this whole thing's breaking. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you, you, to me, the valuation of Ethereum is pricing an infrastructure that could do 50 million transactions a day. They're struggling to do one. So this is the biggest roadblock for everything on Ethereum is like, and I don't even know if it's even worth discussing because like they got to figure it out. But I guess the flip side, what you brought up is an interesting point is like maybe you can make like do off chain. So instead of doing like every transaction runs through Ethereum, if we can bunch them and every one through 100, we just, you know, are only paying 1% of that per fee. So or per transaction. Yeah, that, that, that's like, yeah. So it's like you can either, you know, uh, rely and depend and, and pray that the Ethereum core developers figure out some, you know, scaling solution or have a successful migration to proof of stake or et cetera. And that you could do a whole, yeah, whole thing on, you know, that, that type of stuff. Um, but I think the more realistic short-term option too, and stuff that's actually making pretty good te technical advancements in like the like very recent future and short-term and it's moving quite quickly is yes, this idea of like layer two, um, which is the like off-chain uh, level of transactions. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of different approaches to it as well. Um, and essentially you need to decide what sort of trade-offs you're comfortable uh, uh, taking uh, when you're incorporating a level two solution, because inherently with a level two solution, um, it is not going to be as uh, decentralized or robust as settling everything on chain. Um, and that's why it's able to be cheaper. Um, for the most part, like a layer two solution is is uh, uh, some level of a uh, like kind of federated network. Like you want speed and you're sacrificing trust, basically. Sure. Absolutely, yes. And it's like a sliding scale of how much trust are you willing to sacrifice in order for speed and cheaper transactions. Um, but essentially, so, you know, there's some, there's, there's a bunch of, there's some solutions that are, you know, we'll give you, you know, every transaction you could ever want and it's free because yeah, it's like three guys running some AWS box somewhere and there's no like security guarantees at all. Um, and then there's some more recent developments of stuff where essentially um, you can have this kind of like a uh, uh, federated network of, uh, you know, a couple dozen, a couple hundred, a uh, couple thousand node operators running, validating transactions in a lesser decentralized manner. However, it can inherit the essentially security guarantees to a level of Ethereum in such a way where um, if there's malicious behavior that happens on this lesser trusted network, um, any participant of that network, the users, um, can essentially point that out and call it out. And it essentially kind of freezes that state and forces it to go back to Ethereum and wow. force it to go back to the actual decentralized network and resolve what happened here It force exits everybody. If it, 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 so there's, and there's different ways of implementing that. And they all kind of have slightly different, you know, trust profiles and stuff. Um, and, but they're making relatively good strides on it. Uh, there's like, 
Um, I don't know if you, there's a, there's an exchange today that's quite good. Um, uh, diversif there's Diversify, which I believe is uh, Bitfinex, uh, stood that up or something, and it uses uh, um, uses one of these. Um, there's things like Loopring today as well. Um, there, there's yep. a couple of handful of them that are definitely live. They all have slightly different security profiles, but um, I think there will be a, a one there will be a, a one of these solutions that has a security profile that is uh, suiting and fitting for Augur. Um, arguably, Augur, at least in my perspective and kind of our perspective, developing this for the past couple of years has been that um, one of the, I mean, the primary thing we solve for is a decentralized, censorship-resistant peer-to-peer uh, -peer prediction market. Um, in the sense of that, you know, decentralization and censorship-resistant is the most important thing here because without those two things, uh, you know you open yourself up to uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody not liking what you're doing and trying to shut you down or bad actors or malicious people or et cetera. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think every application by all means needs like extreme level censorship resistant decentralization. Um, a lot of applications don't, um, but I think there are a handful of them that do. Um, and so it's a matter of picking one of these kind of layer two solutions where you can get that sort of instant confirmation speed you're paying like a penny two penny per transaction um and still get a security guarantee where if something goes wrong over there we can all go back to ethereum really quickly and essentially uh settle our dispute back on ethereum in a way where that censorship can't exist anymore um so there's different ways of approaching it but um they're all, they're all getting quite good um yeah. i think we're gonna see a lot more of it give it like another like you know in the next like three, six months, like application wise, you're gonna see a lot of like, like dApps that you know today moving to some level of a layer two solution because wow. they're actually getting to the point where like you can have really good security guarantees. Um, unlike the past like two years, like we've always been kind of talking about it. Security guarantees have always been quite bad, um, but they're getting good now. It's just, uh, you know, kind of complex and difficult, like, like level of academic work. And then once you kind of validate academic work, they have to go like implement it at the software and then they have to go test the software. It's just like, a, you know, it's a long process, but um, I've been uh, quite impressed at least in the, the developments that some teams have been making in that. Yeah, it's a great answer. And I guess the flip side to my skeptical take is like the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity, like Augur already got 25 million people doing it with Ethereum and V1 you know, I don't want to say sucking, but in like the earliest crap. No, <laughs> so you're already getting, you know what I mean? Like, and it already kind of worked. And so pace of innovation here, like my bet is they will figure this out. There will be a decentralized computing platform that can run 50 million, whether it's, you know, ETH with some layer two or whatever, but you guys are, it's already working even with the current tech that's only getting better, which I think is awesome. So let's, let's move back to this awesome future vision because one, as I was researching Augur, the thought that really was like, okay, this could be huge, like, you know, just a huge piece of the digital world and economy in the future is this idea of like, you can Google the future, not about how much money you can make, not about what you can bet on, but the information I can access and view because of your platform. Like I was just Googling today, like, okay, it's all about Donald Trump, the 2020 election. Okay. I could bet on that, but I could also use the wisdom of the crowds to get insight about what humanity's collective wisdom thinks is going to happen in the future, which is all of a sudden you know, I guess equity prices are that as well. You know, Tesla's price is a fundamental reflection of what the market thinks will ha occur in the future um, for the company. And so, but this to me is a weird, you know, could you could you fill us in on this whole like Google the future kind of concept? Because uh, yeah. I love where this is all headed. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's kind of where our, the, the business name comes from too. the forecast foundation forecasting. And like, you know, uh, this is like the root of like where these ideas have come from and, and been de developed off of, but yeah, it, I mean, it's the idea that these markets, if you have truly open and transparent and decentralized prediction markets or markets, when I say prediction markets too, I mean, a prediction market isn't much different than a traditional financial market or a current betting exchange market or, um, you know, uh, a handful of these types of markets are all kind of fundamentally, you know, a very similar in concept. Um, but if you have a truly open and decentralized prediction market where it's not uh, living within the control of the New York Stock Exchange or the, you know, somebody else who, you know, implements, uh, you know, external forces upon that market, um, if it's truly open and decentralized, the thought here is that you, one, can have markets on anything. And then two, when you have markets on anything, uh, yeah, you know, uh, the reflection of the market is, our, is, is the best indication we have of what the crowd or these participants believe to be the probability of that outcome actually occurring. Um, because the way it's priced too is that essentially all outcomes resolve to one. So um, they trade between a range of zero to one um and you know in between there and whatever it trades at in between there is uh the uh, uh it's the implied probability um in terms of odds um so you get just regular kind of betting odds but you convert it to implied probability um and so you know you look at a uh a prediction market or a betting market for the upcoming election um i think donald trump's trading at about 40 cents right now for, for re-election um you know that's a it's it's there are millions of dollars that have been bet and staked, you know, at this line and at these markets. And, you know, what what is a better way to actually extract what people believe to be the truth and their true beliefs out of them, other than making them put their money where their mouth is essentially, um, you know, bet on it. When somebody bets on something, I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's not, it's not some guy just kind of, uh, you know, there's a difference when some guy goes on Twitter and just shills his opinions, because if he's wrong, there's no repercussions other than, you know, maybe people think he's dumb for a day or two, but then they forget about it. Um, with a prediction market, you know, you put that money down on that outcome, if you're wrong, you lose that money. So it's a, it's a, it's a much stronger way to actually pull these signals out. And like, yeah, this is the, the idea is that, you know, once you have markets on anything with this, you can arguably get the best indication of what the world believes, you know, these outcomes occurring is by letting them trade on it. Um, you essentially give a venue, you, you, you make something exist that can uh, kind of collectively aggregate all of the random bits of information and uh, the entropy and uh, insight that different people have in this world. And you're giving them now a financial incentive to share that insight with the rest of the world through a market. Essentially, if you are the, you got special insight on one thing or you're a domain expert on this or that, you know, you can go and bet on that now. And if you're right, you're gonna make money. But the byproduct of that is you're signaling to the world that expertise that you have or that knowledge that you have through the market. Um, and that results in essentially, yeah, you can look at these prediction markets and uh, the different outcomes, whatever price they're trading at, it's a, a very good proxy of what the world or these market participants believe is the 
you know, accurate prob probabilistic chance of that, you know, market outcome occurring itself. Um, it's like, it comes from the idea of like the wisdom of the crowds. You know, you ask a, you know, a large crowd of people, um, you know, they're uh, a question and you take, you know, kind of a, some level of an average of their answer. And it, you know, in theory is, is going to be a, a significantly more accurate answer than asking like one person that is deemed to be an expert in that field of such. Um, and that's kind of where the idea of prediction markets come from is, you know, yeah, take all that wisdom that exists in the world and sum it down to one number in one market and, you know, let that be the signal to the world of what everybody actually thinks is truth and what the current state of things are. Um, and historically, they've been quite good. Um, betting markets did a bunch of weird stuff in the last election for a bunch of different, you know, they're not perfect either. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's at some level, just an indication of what the human population believes. Um, but I think as we all know, we can be wrong too, a lot. <laughs> um, but for the most part, it's, it's the best way that we have to attempt to signal these insights and this information, uh, at least today in the world, in a way where uh, there's some level of conviction behind it. Um, the people have skin in the game. It's, it's not just, uh, you don't have to parse, you know, people's just kind of uh, arbitrary opinions. Uh, you don't have to like try to validate, does this person know what they're talking about? Do they not know what they're talking about? Um, you can to some level, but it makes it a lot easier to do that if someone's like, I have X opinion, and guess what? I just put $20,000 on it and you can see it right there. Here's the, like, oh, here's wow. the, the chain transaction on chain transaction yeah. from my oh, wallet. Right there. And like, you can see it and you can go trade on it. And I'm like, it, it's, it's in that market. And guess what? When I'm right, you know, that $20,000 is going to be $60,000. So, you know, I'll see you in two months, uh, you know, but like, it's a much better way to, to signal how strong of a, of a confidence level you have in your information and how you give that information uh, to the rest of the world, essentially. So do you think in the future there will be some sort of like search engine-esque feature where I could ask Augur what is going to happen in the future and it will tell me what the crowds are thinking about it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you could arguably build it, you know, today with like the markets that exist on Augur. I just don't think Augur's developed it up to the point where uh, you would have an interesting vast array of that to make like a search engine, like a, you know, kind of like a, a, a fun thing to use. But I mean, I mean, even, you know, political stuff today, yeah, sure, you can go and do the homepage of Augur, and that's arguably, you know, like a, you know, a search engine for who's going to win the presidential election. It's kind of a search engine signal for, you know, uh, what the Ethereum price is going to be at the end of next month. They're trading on that. Um, anything that these people are trading on. Um, Fascinating. Yeah. You know, so like, I've been like thinking, I don't, I'm like, part of me doesn't want to ask this question because it's so dark and messed up. But the second I heard about what Augur was, it was the first thing that came to mind which is what if someone makes a prediction market that someone will die and all of a sudden you have created a real world incentive to kill someone like this is really dark and twisted but when i think of decentralized decensorship you know wild billions of people using this all around the world huge amounts of money some sci-fi future in 2035 you know like this could get really weird in a lot of ways if so how do you you know i'm sure you you, you look like you're totally ready yeah yeah well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, so, I mean, I think the, 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 the reality of this is that um, one, just because something is decentralized and peer-to-peer and, and, -peer and exists in such way um, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist in the real world and that laws still don't apply to it. Um, you know what I mean? Like anything that happens on one of these things, like 
get like these people still live in the real world and real world laws still apply to them um you know just because it's decentralized doesn't make what you're doing you know inherently a legal thing or, or not a legal thing um and in practicality i think what ends up actually happening here is that uh it's just um one in terms of like uh like cr actually creating a real world incentive for for, for something as such um i mean we've never really we've never seen that in practice actually happen um so we're you know i'm less uh i'm less uh bullish on the idea that like that incentive it that let me put it this way i'm less bullish on the idea that a prediction market is the most uh uh, uh efficient way to attempt to accomplish some level of a goal like that if that were to be your goal because arguably i could set up a bitcoin multi-sig and do the same thing as well set up a Bitcoin multi-sig and say, hey, send me a bunch of Bitcoin. And when it reaches X amount of, you know, thing, like, uh, you know, um, essentially send me a bunch of Bitcoin to a multi-sig. And then uh, if X thing happens in the real world, commit proof to the multi-sig that you did X thing and we'll pay you out the multi-sig. Um, like there's like, there's like a million ways you can do something like this. Um, so like it's, it's, but this is like kind of been a, a, a like a, a, a thing or a narrative of prediction markets as well too. Um, just because like it fits and like, it, yeah, you know, it, like you kind of think of it when you think of that. Yeah. Like I think of, uh, there's a gazillion weird theories sure. I have of like, you know, really messed up things that could be bet on. I don't know. It's like, it's, uh, but another, uh, maybe going down the dark end is a bad idea because there's so many good things you could bet on as well. And like exciting opportunity, but just the level of where and the directions that this could go is it, it's mind boggling. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, the way the way we view it, too, is that, uh, you know, we're creating, uh, you know, Augur as software and Augur as a tool. And inherently, almost all tools that have been created and invented, you know, can be used for nefarious purposes um, if somebody intends to do so. Yeah. Um, somebody can write a ransom letter with Microsoft Word. Somebody can beat you over the head with a hammer and kill you. Um, like anytime someone kind of invents something new, there's always a way that somebody can use it for a nefarious purpose. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a matter of like, is that like practical? Is it, is someone actually going to do this? Um, and if you really, you know, in like real actuality today, I mean, blockchain analysis has gotten really good. I would not recommend people to do nefarious things with, you know, the state of current. Oh yeah. Like, uh, chain analysis or something. Yeah. It's like a whole company, the FBI is oh, yeah. like millions to track every blockchain. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. dude, if, like if, the, if, if I think you can like really like hide on there. Like, I mean, it's an open, transparent public, right? Like, like the joke, right. They're like, Oh, Bitcoin's great for like fraud and crime. I'm like, dude, like, <laughs> like the, everything's <laughs> trackable like it's the word yeah, like dude if you're doing crime or like anything like that dude use cash bro this is a way well, better technology absolutely. to get away with that's it. you know i think that this was kind of this was this was like the early bitcoin thing too you know i got into bitcoin like 2014 or 15 you know and everyone's like well, like bitcoin's used for like money laundering terrorism child porn it's like the three things that like you know the golden trio when a government doesn't want something to exist um <laughs> and it's like but like but like guess what like it, 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 even if that were true, which it's not, but even if it were true, you can track it all and you can see all of it. And like, what are you going to tell me? Cash has never been used for it. And like, how do you track cash? You don't. Um, it's like, like you're never going to like stop like in theoretical bad things from ever potentially being able to happen. But like, we can put them in different systems now. And like, guess what? Like from like a perspective of a, a government or a regulator, like you should want 
your criminal, like, you know, money launderer or drug dealer to use Bitcoin instead because you can arguably track him significantly easier than you can tracking him, like, carrying duffel bags of cash around. Um, like, you can't track that at all. And, like, guess what? Like, fiat currency has been used for illicit purposes forever. I mean, that's since day one. Primary, yeah. primary purpose of, like, fiat. Who else uses fiat currency nowadays? You know what I mean? Like, actual paper currency. Like, no, nobody. What do you mean? You know what I mean? Like, outside of some 20 bucks from the ATM, like, you know, who uses $100 bills anymore? It's not a thing. Use your credit card. Use your whatnot. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think they, you know, they, 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 people can attempt to say that, you know, technology can be used and like, this is scary and this is bad and this is, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, if you're going to take that line, sure, you can take that line, but like also everything else in the world is like nearly just as scary and bad and used for like just as many of those, you know, purposes as well. We're almost done. I want to wrap this up with the final question about Augur. You've just launched V2. How do people go check it out? How many users? How much money? Can you give us a couple stats about the launch or just get us pumped? Augur.net, I believe. Um, but what's up with V2? What's, what's the status? Yeah, so um, V2 uh, launched last week. Um, you can kind of see everything and be uh, uh, navigated to the application itself from Augur.net. Um, it runs on IPFS. Um, so you can, you can use it in your browser now with IPFS and it syncs in your browser. You don't have to download a blockchain anymore. You don't have to download software anymore. Um, it loads really fast. It's quite nice. Um, UI is much better. Um, and I had so, to check like an agreement cause I was in the U S or UK. There's like a couple of yeah, disclosures you have to check. Is that what's up with that? That's, um, that's, that's, that's just from the, from the auger.net domain name. Um, so essentially we, uh, we own and we operate auger.net. Um, it's essentially owned website. We own and operate it. So, you know, we have some level of obligation with auger.net itself. Um, and we're, you know, redirecting you essentially to a deployment of auger on a peer to peer distributed network. IPFS. Okay. Um, and so auger like itself is entirely open source as well, too. You can go to GitHub, download the code and, and run it locally if you would like as well. Um, but this is just kind of, uh, you know, us redirecting to uh, people to IPFS is kind of like a convenience for using it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still all open source software. Anybody can download it and run it locally on their computer as well. Um, and Amazing. So auger.net, people can play around. I think Auger. this is so exciting. Like I've, you know, watching Ethereum come out, this become a dApp. Now you've actually launched it. Now it's in the wild. Like, I don't know if auger will be the thing that is this decentralized prediction market that takes over the whole world, but I think one will. And you, oh, agree. you and your team is ahead of the curve and leading this charge. So that's why, you know, $200 million project with tens of billions of potential, like so, so exciting and fascinating to follow. So I'm super, super pumped that we got to like do this interview. And thank you so much for the time. Cause I'm like, I just can't wait to see, you know, how this all evolve in two to three years where you're at. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you, you know, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can to try to make something like this exist. But, you know, at the end of the day, we just want something like this to exist. You know, if, if it ends up being something else or someone else or somewhere else, like, but we've contributed to that process to make it exist or help it exist, you know, in one way or another as well. It's like, you know, and I think this is kind of the, this is the, this is the core ethos that, you know, got uh, maybe missed a lot in like the 2017 hype cycle and stuff. But, you know, there's still a handful of us around that are like, yeah, we want to make like cool things that exist for the world itself. Um, but yeah, R.net. This was super cool. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you so much. Can't wait to, to keep watching. All right. Well, peace out, everybody. Bye.